Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. From a young age, Amanda Williams has viewed hard work as her ticket to opportunity. Amanda cut her teeth in politics as a media advisor in federal and state politics. It was here where she learned how to build someone's public image and reputation, starting from ground zero. At this point, the media was dubbing Amanda a rising star of the federal media team. Not only was she making a name for her MP, but she was also building one for herself. But she decided her heart wasn't really in it, so she started a company called Yellow Panda, a PR marketing agency that helps other startups get going. You know, it's funny when talented people like Amanda Williams decide to give up their career and move on to something completely different. She knew instinctively that politics wasn't for her and that PR could give her what she needed in her career and her life, more importantly. What I love about Amanda is she's not predictable. She hasn't allowed anyone to put her in a box and is constantly seeking to do more and be more to the point where I don't even think she can keep up with herself. So let's get into it. Amanda Williams, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks for having me. Amanda Panda. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I I couldn't help but say that. I mean, obviously, uh, I need to know why you called, well, what's the deal with Panda? Tell me about it. Um, Yellow Panda. Well, for a long time, a lot of my friends, well, my nickname was Panda and so many of my friends were calling me Panda that some people didn't even know my first name. And and then when thinking about a name for the business, um, yellow's always been my favorite color. It's uh, very energizing and creative. And um, I thought Yellow Panda had a nice ring to it. Uh, I really enjoy the fact that my not only my friends call me Panda, but my clients alike. It's quite funny, but it obviously, you know, it helps me stand out too. It's quite memorable. Um, yellow, I agree. The yellow is a really good colour. Um, some people um, don't rate it. I mean, generally speaking, everybody looks at red and all that sort of stuff, black, red. But I think yellow is a really good colour. I mean, I obviously own a company called Yellow Brick Road. I, I love yellow. I love the connotations of gold, etc. Yellow Panda is a really good name. I don't know if it's just me in particular. I like yellow and I, the panda piece works, the imagery works, but yellow panda is a great name. But we're not going to talk about the name just at the moment. I'm going to talk about Amanda. Yes. So I know that you once worked in the political sphere. That's right. The sphere of politics, pretty tough environment, particularly these days. Uh, tell us about that start. Um, might start with how it all came about. And um, yeah. at the time I was um, finishing off my university degree and as a part of getting some sort of runs on the board, I was the publicity officer at our local surf club. 
And um, at the surf club one night, we had a presentation night. I'd won fundraiser of the year and a number of other things. And there was a politician, a federal MP in the room that night who was looking for a, a media advisor at the time who um, suggested I come in for an interview. And a week later, I had secured my first ever job, um, six months out from actually finishing uni. So I hadn't quite finished uni yet. And my first week of all weeks was in Canberra. So I flew down to Canberra from the Gold Coast. My first week ever in politics was budget week. So you can imagine the kind of, you know, orientation I had there. <laughs> Let's just pedal back a little bit here. So how old were you then? Uh, 27 at the time. And uh, what were you doing at university? I was studying a Bachelor of Communications with a double major in journalism and public relations. Okay. That's late starter for university. Yeah, I'm a mature age student essentially. So I was a grandma at uni. Um, prior to that, I had a career in real estate. So, which has probably served me really well now, having got those runs on the board too, around sales and negotiation. Um, but yeah. I didn't go back to uni until I was 24. Have you always grown up at the Gold Coast? I mean, you're, you're on the Gold Coast now, but do you always grow up in the Gold Coast? No, I'm a Mexican. So initially I am from um, Wollongong. I was born and bred in Wollongong and we moved to the Gold Coast when I was about seven. My family purchased a tourist park up here on the Tweed River and um, we moved up to the Gold Coast then. So I've been here ever since I was seven. They, they still own the, the tourist park now? No, no. Long, long story there. They've had several different business ventures, but that's what initially brought us here. Yeah. Yeah, that that'd be be cool to own. It'd be worth a fortune. Um, so like, so yeah, you you've travelled with your family up and down the coast of uh, New South Wales, and then in, then mm-hmm. in on into Queensland. I mean, and then you've led a coastal life, and I guess that's <clears throat> a little unsettling for a young kid to some extent. But you've got to make your way. Do, right. do you think you learn any lessons during that period? You got about making your way because obviously. You know, you, you pitch yourself into the politician and you got the job, but, you know, where did that all start? Where do you get that confidence from or that sort of drive to rip in? I think the confidence actually comes from being a performer at a very, very young age. When I was only 11, um, and I mean, I'd been dancing since I was I could walk. Uh, when I was 11, my dance studio, my troupe per se, uh, we went over to the States and I actually performed in Disneyland and Hawaii and San Francisco. So I was on the world stage performing as a performer at 11 years old. Um, And so I think a lot of my confidence actually comes from performing. So it takes a lot to do that. It's quite (laughs) nerve wracking going on stage and performing. Um, And then I guess that's just sort of carried me throughout life. I think confidence for me has been a way, it's kind of almost been a bit of a security blanket, to be honest, because I've I've been the new girl at, I think, throughout my school life. I went to seven different schools. I was always a new girl. And I think the way of sort of blending in or I guess winning people over for me has always been just to go in with confidence and back myself um, as a way of trying to fit in. Do you think that's a form of, um, you know, it's a a self-form of bluff? Yeah, I think to a certain extent it is. I mean, we're all performers in some respect, right? And I was a performer, as I said, from a very young age. So, you know, putting on that act of confidence, it's almost like you can actually convince yourself that, you know, the confidence act that you're putting on actually makes, like it puts you in that state of feeling confident. Even if initially it is a bit of a bluff, I think the more you do it, the more you actually truly do become confident. Yeah, because neuroscientists will tell us that that is the case. So, you know, what we happen, what we tend to do is, uh, as you say, you, you make that first step, you do it once, you make this, you, know, you do the same thing over and over, and after time your repeated behaviour becomes indented into your um, neurological system and you actually start to believe that's who you are or that becomes part of your part of you. Because I'm a big believer in um, building stories about ourselves and I'm also a big believer in, you know, brain plasticity and about being able to change 
who we believe we are and actually become that person who we change ourselves into. And it's just by habit, behavior, habit, behavior, habit, behavior. And um, it doesn't matter whether there's bluff involved in the first place. It doesn't really matter. Um, and like small business owners, you know, like right now they're getting the shit kicked out of them and a lot of them feel as though they're not worth anything. They're, they'll never survive. They need to hang around for government handouts. They can't operate without government handing them out, not less so in Queensland than it is in the other states, particularly here in New South Wales. But over time, if, if you can have a mindset, I mean, mindset's a really important thing. It sounds like you've got a strong mindset or a structured mindset one that keeps repeating itself and, and it works. So the elements are, and I'd like to hear what you've got to say, but the elements are um, it doesn't matter um, how much lack of confidence you have. If you just make, if you start to build a technique and keep building on it over time, you start to get the wins. And if you're prepared to count the wins, actually pat yourself on the back and count the wins and sort of, you know, hang in the wins and sort of, you know, bathe in the wins then you get a reward and you start to become the person you want to be. Definitely. I think I'm very lucky that I, I I guess kind of, it comes natural to me to have a positive mindset. I know a lot of people struggle with just, just having a somewhat of a positive mindset. So for me, I feel like it's sort of my role to share that with others. So I'm constantly like trying to lift other people up. Like I'm the first person telling people, you know, stop the negative self thought, uh, self, you know, um, talk because we are our thoughts. Absolutely. 100%. And you, you go where your mind goes. Um, and I think, yeah, particularly right now, you, you're right. Businesses are getting the shit kicked out of them left, right and center. And being a service-based business myself, you know, I, I consider myself to be sort of at the bottom of the ladder, so to speak. So all of the businesses who are doing it tough above me, you know, I feel their energy and I feel like what is going on for them drop down to us. So we've got a real responsibility in the service-based industry to really try and push that positive energy and mindset back up the channel. Um, and it has worked. You know, a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, have written this out. I've been so proud of them throughout this. Um, that's what we need more of. We definitely need more positivity out there. There's so much negativity and it really doesn't do us any use uh, to be sort of letting our minds sit in that space. I have to like just sitting here watching you, listening to you and actually watching your um, the way you sit and the way you hold yourself. I'm, I'm actually getting energy. I mean, energy is a really important thing for every business to have. Um, and uh, it's sort of um, based on a whole lot of things. It's not just – I don't think it's just mindset either. I, I actually think it's, you know, like what you eat, I mean, how you exercise, how you live your life, what your routine is what your background is, um, what you're doing, and you know, do you believe you've got a proper purpose, et cetera. There's a whole series of things that fit within the energy of a business person uh, and or a business. Um, this event at the surf club, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, where you ran into a politician. Were we talking about Wollongong or uh, no, we talking about Queensland on, at this stage? Yeah, this is on the Gold Coast. This is at my local surf club at, at Palm Beach. Um, it's quite interesting because I don't think I've really ever really pitched myself into anything. I've let my walk do the talk. It's been other people. It's been other people saying, hey, you really need to go talk to this Amanda girl. She's fabulous. It was actually someone else who actually pitched me to that politician that night saying you need to, you need to speak to Amanda. And then I was approached. That's how most things kind of happen to me in life is that I'm just out there. And, I mean, the, the surf club's the perfect example. That was a volunteer gig. I had four different committee positions there. You know, I've constantly put myself out there sowing seeds, not really expecting anything in return and certainly not even getting paid for most of the things that I've ever done. But it always pays off because people notice that. Um, does that say to you, though, that you're not going to get on in business or in anything, your own business, the business of 
not call it promoting yourself, but your own business of growing and getting and getting to gigs that you really get excited by, you're not going to get there unless you sort of are out amongst it and sort of got the burly on the water. You've got to have burly all over the joint, otherwise you're not going to attract anything. Absolutely. My whole life and every good thing that's ever happened to me has come off the back of constantly putting myself out there. I'm, I would never sit on my hands. I don't have a spare minute in my diary. I'm always out doing things, being with people, experiencing things, exploring things, trying new things. And that has been like one of the ultimate sort of secret weapons to my success. Drives my husband mad. He's always saying like, why are you, why are you signing up for another thing when you clearly don't have time to do it? I'm like, I'll make it work. I know that I'm going to learn something or meet someone potentially super awesome out of this. That's just going to take my life to the next level. Okay. When you're a, you're a political staffer yep. um, for a federal politician, did he or she have a portfolio at the time? Not at the time. They do now. So when I did start, I was obviously working with backbench MPs. Uh, I worked yep. with two different backbench MPs in federal uh, politics. The uh, the second backbench MP I worked for, uh, the campaign in 2013, that seat that I was in was actually the most watched seat in the country because um, my opponent was um, Peter Beattie, the former Queensland Premier. Yep dropped into my seat and so all of a sudden the seat that I was organizing all of the media on comms for became the uh the most visited seat in the country by the national media team and you know my job therefore you know was around hosting Tony Abbott and Peter Credlin and other various ministers who were coming into the electorate because it was the electorate that had to win so an incredible career opportunity for me to be in that space at that time. Um, do you think to yourself about opportunity? I mean, is that something that, I mean, you're going to do your job, um, but do, does that actually go through your mind? Here's an opportunity, here's an opportunity, what am I going to do with it? Do you actually plan through the opportunity or do you just uh, sort of freestyle it and see what happens? Oh, I'm so not a freestyler. If anyone knows me, I am like, I need a plan. I need, I, the planning panda is another nickname, but I need a plan. I need a strategy. There is always strategy in what I do. But I think the biggest takeaway I got from being around, I guess, these people in power was that I could be just myself around them and I could lean in and I could talk to them like regular human beings. And I took away from that again, another level of confidence of like, well, you know, I see huge potential for me in the future to be able to basically work with anyone. And if I can work with these people and do a good job in front of these people, then literally the sky's the limit as to where I can go. So it was a huge we talk about imposter syndrome a lot in small business, but that kind of thing is something that's going to go a long way in making you realise that you've got what it takes. When you're working for a, a local member in, in Queensland on the coast, how important are small businesses? Oh, it's interesting. I don't think it's so much about the votes. There's two things that small business are important for when it comes to politics. One is donations. <laughs> to obviously help fund campaigns, like that definitely goes on. And the other is they are opportunities, particularly when we'd go out and we would visit some of the facilities, say it's a manufacturer, to walk through to get the video content, the photos, the content that you need to communicate with your electors, with your voters that, hey, look at me, like I'm out there, I'm connected, I care about small business, I'm here with this small business person listening to their concerns and taking it to the parliament. That is the the essential role of small business, I guess, and the partnership or relationship that they have with, with, uh, 
with the federal government and even the state government. Well, on one side of the ledger, that small businesses are really important to the to the voting public in terms of content because people want to see that the dude is, you know, that's your guy, is actually interested in what local businesses are doing. They employ people, they interact with the local community, they provide a service, blah, 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 they pay taxes, all that sort of stuff. So that's good for the politician. But on the other side of the ledger, the local business person wants to know that he or she is um, recognised and or uh, important enough to get the visit. Um, and what did you learn from that? Yeah, um, I think what I got away from it is how important it is for small business owners and operators to have this opportunity for them to be able to uh, have a voice, I guess, in the parliament, but also be part of that promotional experience, right? That that PR opportunity for their business to be recognised on the federal scale. Uh, I guess that's something that kind of has influenced the work that I do now. You know, to this day, I'm organising for clients of mine, you know, down in Sydney um, to have their local federal MP come out and uh, inspect their warehouse and meet their staff and their team. Um, and a lot of, it's actually quite interesting, a lot of small business operators don't understand that um, it's actually the role of their federal MP to come out and check out their business and give them a hand and point them in the direction of what kind of government support is out there to assist them. A lot of them just don't even think to, to initiate that contact. And the statistics around how many people actually contact an electorate office in a three-year term back then was only around 7 to 12% of voters engage with the office. This is why politicians go out door knocking before elections and do robocalls because very, only a very small part of the population will actually engage with their MPs. And the same can be said for small business. Right now that's probably more important than ever that small business particularly here in Sydney, engage with their local member. It's a big deal. Absolutely. They need to know what's going on in the small business community. But all small businesses need to go out to the, say, the politicians, listen, particularly at state level, look what you're doing. You're stuffing the community up. I mean, like this lockdown stuff is just killing us. Um, do politicians, I mean, I, I'm going to call on your political experience here, but do politicians get it, don't it, or do they just want to do it during the election period? Do they actually get this? <laughs> I'd like to think that they would, but I think if they really got this, I'd probably still be working for them. I mean, the fact that they didn't get this was one of the main reasons I jumped out and thought, well, I'm going to go support small business. I'm going to help them have a voice because I don't think that they're being heard. And I mean, all you have to do is look at the wall that we have. So I live very close to the border um, and my brother has a construction company and he's in Tweed Heads. And he has uh, jobs in Queensland across the border and jobs obviously in New South Wales. So the borders actually was closed down for around four weeks and he wasn't able to even go on site to check his buildings. Um, so there was one day where he couldn't get a kitchen and he said, look, can you guys meet me at the border uh, and bring this kitchen down and we can pass it over the border fence, which is a very common thing, right? So I went down with my husband because he needed someone to help with a lift and I helped lift this kitchen over into my brother's work ute. And when I got to that border, this feeling just came over me of absolute despair. It was probably one of the hopeless places I've ever visited in my life. There were people crying. There were people like embracing each other over this wall. There were business people struggling to pass supplies across. There were people on laptops either side of the work, you know, just still trying to get it done. Um, kids being passed over. And I, I honestly could not believe it. I just could not believe that in this day and age we don't have a solution from our leaders 
other than passing and trying to conduct business and, and passing children across a plastic barrier. I think that is probably, yeah, one of the most poignant sort of examples I can give as to the state of affairs right now. It's also stupid because it's a fake line. It's someone's sat down on a map. It's not something that the earth has uh, given to us or uh, the planet has said, look, there's a line there, there's Queensland and that's New South Wales. Um, it's some person has sat down there and drawn a line. And by the way, it's not even a straight line. It sort of jaggers around the coastline sort of area. <laughs> uh, that'll be the board. That's called Queensland. This called New South Wales. No. It's such a, a, a f- fake piece of bullshit. Um, and we all live in this country. We're all Australians. And by the way, you know, the Constitution, I don't want to get into this, but the Constitution actually says that you can't, no state government can inf- uh, bring about a law that's going to stop interstate trade. Yeah. And all of a sudden mm. you've got people who are, you know, business people who are yeah. working a way around this so-called conflicted law mm. by handing shit over the over this so-called fake line that doesn't even exist. It's not real. No. I mean, I, I could talk about this crap forever, but like because <laughs> it, it sends me it sends sends me mental. I've triggered okay? you. I've triggered uh, you. <laughs> totally. You triggered me for sure. But let's just come back, let's wheel back a little bit. So yep. here you are working for a politician, yep. going through an election period. Mm. You have then said, that's it, I'm out of here. Yeah. Do you remember the day you said I'm leaving federal politics and working for a politician, I'm going to set up my own PR business and build public relations for small business owners and take them on board. Yeah. Well, so I stepped down from federal to state. I'd actually received an offer to go into a state office. And to be honest, by this point, I think I was about three and a half years into my tenure in federal politics. I was traveling to Canberra 22 weeks a year. So I was doing about 40 odd plane flights a year. And you know, I was starting to feel burnout, like my health was taking a beating. So I thought, look, I need to find something local, just be closer to home. This state office job had opened up. I thought, look, I'm just going to go park myself there for a while and have a bit of a break. But I hadn't 100% made the decision to go. <laughs> but then this weird thing happened when I was in Canberra one night and I was out for dinner. Um, we were at Grilled, we were just having some burgers and I think it was Monica at the time, as with a couple of my colleagues. And uh, it started to rain. And I went to run across a pedestrian crossing to get to the other side of the road to jump in a cab and go home. And I got run over by a car. What? Yeah. So (laughs) running across the pedestrian crossing in the rain, which is probably partly my fault, right? But I bang up on the bonnet, rolled up onto the bonnet of this car. It was a white Camry, rolled down the front of the bonnet, fell onto the bitumen and lay there looking above myself waiting for this car to drive over me. And it didn't. Thank God it stopped. But I thought if there was ever a sign to tell you it's time to get out of Dodge, this is it. Like I'm taking the job off. I could have been run over and killed tonight in Canberra and I don't want my story to end in Canberra. Would you break anything? Um, Would you do an injury roll? This is like I don't want to make a fuss because I'm pretty stoic. I kind of just got up. All my clothes were ripped. You know, I had a bit of grazing on my knee and my elbow from where I sort of impacted the road. But I walked up. I walked away, and I thought, "Oh, I really don't want to go through the hassle of going to the emergency and sitting in the hospital for like ten hours." One of the colleagues was staying with me, so I said, "Look, do you mind just checking on me overnight, just to make sure I've obviously not got some sort of concussion?" That I'm not dead, and that I'm not dead. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as I was concerned, you know, pick myself up, dust myself off, go sleep it off, and then go into the office the next day, which is exactly what I did, and then. When the MP, so essentially my boss found out what had happened, he's like, what the hell are you doing here? Like go to the doctors right now and at least get checked out. You got hit by a car. But I guess that's just in my nature to kind of just dust myself off and you know, pick myself up and just keep charging on. Um, so 
I guess, you know, these things happen to you and sometimes you do kind of go into a bit of shock with trauma and it was almost like, yeah, it happened. I didn't think it was that big a deal. But then looking back on it now, um, if, if that was one of my staff members now, like absolutely, like I would have wanted them to call me straight away when it happened. Like I would would hope that they would call me straight away and I would meet them at the hospital and I would make sure that they got checked out. And I'd tell them, don't come to work tomorrow. It's all good. We've got this. So I think it speaks a bit to the culture of working in politics. Like you have to be so strong and tough and you're told all the time, if you don't want this job, we've got resumes sitting in our inbox. Anyone else will take it. So you're expected to just roll with the punches or in my case, get run over by a car and still show up for work the next day. I mean, that that stoicism, um, where does that come from in you? Um, So... Mum, dad. Uh, yeah, we could actually probably pin that to both of them. I grew up in, um, look, my childhood was great. I had an amazing childhood, the caravan park, everything that we had was great. Small business, you know, uh, went to private schools, got dropped off in a Jaguar, you know, it was, you know, the richy rich life, amazing. Can't fault my childhood. But once I became around 11 years old, I started to notice things were a bit weird at home, like once I started to sort of mature. And my mum was struggling from a prescription drug addict. And it was kind of hidden and no one in the family really talked about it. But it essentially went on to the point where it created so much, I guess, violence and angst in the home, in my home life, that I was essentially run out of home at 16. I ran away from home at 16 to start my own life and I never went back. And I had $200 to my name and that was it. Um, So... I've always learned to land on my own feet and do things myself without needing any help from anyone. And I've gone through a lot of trauma um, from that experience, right? And it's, you know, that's not the, 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 the half of it, you know. Like I tried so hard for many, many years to try and speak with my mother's doctors and the authorities and writing to ministers and, you know, trying to get someone to help to get my mum off the drugs, but it just never happened. And unfortunately... It claimed her life and it claimed her life only two years into my business. So, yeah, there's been, there's been quite a few times throughout my life where I've, I've dealt with some pretty heavy stuff and I've just always, I've not really had the luxury of being able to just roll over and do nothing or take time off, you know, especially not when you're scaling a business and you've got a mortgage to pay um, and you've been backing yourself since you were 16. Do you park that and try to ignore it and not deal with it or do you just say, fuck it, I've got to get on with what I'm doing? Are you storing something up? Do you feel sometimes that one day it's going to tap you on the shoulder? Say, Amanda, face up. Yeah, that tap's coming now. I, um, I've, I've just started reading and researching a lot around childhood trauma and how that actually repeats itself in cycles into our adult life and I have started to notice things about myself let's say, you know, my eager to please people, being a people pleaser, which I think in business is both good and bad because it means that you're obviously going to do whatever it takes to, to make your, your customers and your clients happy. But it also means that you're going to be so shit at boundaries that you're never going to really stand up for yourself, which is not ideal in business either. Like putting a people pleaser in charge of a business means that you're just going to get pushed around, right? Um, but yeah, I think um, ultimately... I need to learn to break some of these patterns. So I'm doing a lot of work at the moment around boundaries. I'm actually reading a lot of stuff. Have you ever heard of the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicola Perla? 
So yeah. she's someone I found on Instagram. She's got, I think, six or seven million followers now and she's doing this unconventional style of sort of psychotherapy, uh, psychology mixed with holistic stuff um, around psychocybernetics and, you know, the things that we were talking before just about how you actually talk to yourself and um, – I'm learning a lot through that about things that have happened in my childhood that I definitely have dragged into my adult life that I need to address. I think the first step is obviously acceptance and acknowledging that I know I have some work to do on myself because I do see this as having the potential to, you know, I'm just going to crack open one day, particularly under the pressure of scaling a business. You know, you just, I have to be, and I've always prided myself on being healthy, exercising, you know, trying to be the best person I, I can be, um, you know, the, the, that looking internally into the psyche of myself is something I guess I have ignored by just dusting myself off and being distracted and showing up for other people and, you know, just the show must go on, being that performer because that's what performing is, right? It's like the ultimate distraction of getting away from yourself. So I know that I have probably one of the toughest things coming up for myself in terms of learning how to reconnect with myself and my inner child. That, that's very interesting because, I mean, there, I, I've always thought to myself there's not that much in between um, people who are just tough and don't give a shit about anything and they, therefore they can roll through everything, every punch, no matter what, and people who, as you said earlier, stoic or seen as stoic, seen as resilient, but immerse themselves in busyness, um, as you said earlier as well, a- accept every assignment because to some extent they might be running from something, which, by the way, there's no judgment for me. That neither one's better than the other. Um, the outcome is the most important bit, and, and I think following that as a second most important thing is making sure that you accept it, understand it, and deal with it like you're saying now. Mm-hmm. But I, my, I suspected when I was talking to you, just getting that sense from you that um, uh, you are tough, but you're not necessarily running from something, but your brain has become used to something and therefore um, everything's okay, nothing is too big a mountain to climb and I'll do anything that you put in front of me and I, mm. no matter what it is, you'll accept like, you, like your husband says, why the hell are you doing this, taking this extra <laughs> thing on? Because it's sort of a, a format of dealing with uh, what might have happened in the past. Mm. In your case, you know, trying to keep busy and maybe not addressing some of the things that have been getting stored up there for a long time or mm. whether it's just uh, – you know, you're just one of those structured thinkers. Um, you you think mathematically, and you don't you can't think outside of mathematics. You can't think outside of structure. I mean, some mm. people have that, and that, by the way, that's a handicap as well. Um, and I, I'm more in that category. Um, and but because I, I can't think in other ways, well, I'm trying to learn how to think in other ways. Mm. As long as you learn how to think in other ways, and you address the issue, mm. but you land on stoicism, mm. you land on resilience, you land on good mindset, good structure. Mm. That's all that matters. Mm. So uh, it's interesting. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you told us, you know, you gave us some insight into yourself. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal for someone to talk about those things. That's a very personal, private thing. Yeah, but I think the more we talk, the more we talk about personal and private things, the less taboo we make it and the more people can speak up. Like we know we have a problem with people, you know, sitting on things that if they felt more comfortable about, you know, doing what I'm doing and talking to everyone about them, then they, you know, more people would be healed or be able to self-heal. And I think that's really good advice and it's and it's particularly relevant at the moment mm. with business owners who are feeling completely fucked at the moment and there's nothing wrong with talking about it, there's nothing wrong with raising it, there's nothing wrong with uh, acknowledging it, getting on a cycle to fix it um, and it doesn't mean you don't have good mindset, it doesn't mean you have, don't have good structure, it doesn't mean you're not stoic, it doesn't mm. mean you're not resilient, it doesn't mean you're not strong, mm. it doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're human. Um, to admit it. <laughs> it means you're Correct. human. Correct. 
and uh, and I, I, I look. I'm going to go to the break. I'm going to come back from the break. I want to talk to you about your business. I really, you know, we've we've landed on your uh, public relations business, and I want to talk about what you mean by public relations and explain to me what what is public relations because there's a lot of stuff today. Yeah. And where does small business fit into it, and what you're doing in the business? But we'll go to the break. We'll come straight back. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Okay, I'm back from the break. We're here with Amanda Williams from Yellow Panda. Um, tell me about the very first part of your startup where you're running a publicity agent, a PR agency for startups. It's actually quite quite interesting and I think you know some people know that I actually had started the consulting side of Yellow Panda uh, at the same time I was trying to launch a swimwear line because <laughs> initially I really yeah initially I thought I was going to have a swimwear business you know I'd I'd spent two years developing this product um, you know going overseas to Bali and finding manufacturers and I thought I'm going to I'm going to be an e-commerce, the next e-commerce, you know, millionaire out there. And um, I'm going to have a bit of a break from communications for a while. And so I was building this thing up at the same time as doing some consulting and freelancing in, in PR. But I guess what happened is it was sort of like a two-horse race where that second horse, the service-based business, just shot it out and was just doing so well. And I thought, why am I killing myself here trying to deal with manufacturers so um, so I stuck with Yellow Panda and initially I did work with a lot of small business, a lot of, sorry, scaling businesses, so little startups sort of starting out, which is great. But, you know, startups kind of only have the budget for a couple of months or even maybe just like a launch thing and then they're off again. So I think one of the biggest challenges starting out was like how do we actually, you know, retain uh, clients on retainers longer than three months? You know, we need six, six months, 12 months retainer options. And I guess the way I looked at um, sort of moving away from working with the, the startups, which I really loved at the time because I was a startup as well. So, I, you know, I felt really comfortable in that space dealing with other startups. Um, but I, I started to sort of study the work of um, a woman over in the US who's doing some incredible stuff around personal branding and PR, like the blend of the two. And so I started playing with that and I realized that if I could uh, – run an agency that still did that publicity and that PR, but also worked to build and support public, uh, you know, profiles from scratch, very similar to the work that I did in politics, then that was going to be my niche. That was going to be the space that I could sit in that would differentiate me from other PRs. 
So that your business model, your financial model was instead of doing one transaction for somebody for one month and maybe getting paid per hour, et cetera, um, the, the business model, the financial model is that you get someone retains you for six months, hopefully for longer, even a year, and they pay you every month. So you know that money's coming in, which means you then allocate of your time, you know, $2,000 of your time for that month to that particular client. But then in relation to what work you did, it's not just about public relations because that covers a really big area, but it's about building someone's personal brand in their business to help their public relations. Absolutely. From scratch too. You know, these guys come to me and they've not done one ounce of PR, one ounce of public speaking. Their social media is normally pretty dismal. Uh, And I say, look, you know, we can make you essentially, you know, a household name. You could be the next industry leader, the next spokesperson of your industry. And a a lot of the guys that I work with, obviously we're kind of around the same age. I do a lot of work with um, the Young Entrepreneur Program in, in the country. I'm actually the ambassador for Australian Young Entrepreneurship. And so a lot of my guys come to me, they're 40 and under, and they do actually have that ability to be the future leaders, the future business leaders in their respective fields. And I love getting in there and sort of coaching them from the beginning. And uh, that has legs, right, as a business model that has legs because we build together, like I'm building alongside them where we're constantly raising the bar like, okay, you know, the next challenge is, you know, moving you in from maybe a low tier sort of media placement or a, a relatively unknown podcast to a mid, mid, you know, mid tier podcast with a, a bigger audience um, and then nominating for maybe local awards to start with and then moving them up to national awards and then beyond to, to international awards. Um, so, you know, the client, the first client that ever started on this program with me was over two and a half years ago and hasn't left and is my best, you know, walking, talking case study for the work that I do. When you were working in comms for your federal minister at a point in time when there's an election about to occur, you're effectively asking his community, his audience to vote for him. What you're now doing is you're saying, I'm going to build the personal brand of Yellow Panda's clients and with a slight nuance, you're going to get their community, which you're going to help them build, to vote for them and vote for them by either whatever the product or service is. So you're pretty much doing the same thing but yeah. doing it on a for many clients, for many customers, um, talking to many industries. You're, you're saying vote for me. Yep. I will get people to vote for you, Mark. I will get vo- people to vote for you, whoever it is. But it's not on, on election day. It's every day or every time the audience needs a service or product that your client produces or, and or sells or vends. Is that what we're talking about? Absolutely. And if we look at sort of the, the funnel, the marketing funnel, and, and, and at the top of that funnel is always going to be awareness. So the first thing we're doing is we're trying to help build awareness. And as you go through the funnel, the next stage that you get to is consideration. That's when people start to make a decision. And I always say that marketing is someone asking you on a date and branding or PR is whether someone says yes or no. So consideration is trust. Are people, you know, are people going to go through and, and, and do the sale and become a client or buy from you? But then you don't want them to just walk away. You want them to turn into a loyal brand advocate, someone who talks about you and spooks you to, to all of their friends. You know, this tool, PR, publicity, the work that we do at Yellow Panda, is the only marketing tool that actually helps promote referrals through, through people, through that trust process. Because with the advent of digitization, and what I mean by that is um, awareness programs being built through Instagram and Facebook mm. and every other place, the old school PR yeah. sort of dropped off a little bit. Um, people sort of thought, oh, no, I don't need a PR agency. I don't need an agency anymore because I'm doing my own marketing or my own awareness programs and um 
there seemed to be this gap. I saw this gap arising for actual public relations the way you just explained it, um, building brands, personal brands, building awareness, but getting people to engage with you as opposed to just know about you. Yeah. So what you're talking about, like when you say, you know, the old school way of PR versus the new, the new way, the biggest difference is the old school way was that we had to go to the media. The new school way is that we are the media. So we, we still go to the media, but we also self-publish. We also have the ability to build, you know, to act as if we're the editor of our own magazine. So every month you're thinking about what's the theme going to be, that sort of thing. In terms of where it helps startups, absolutely awareness. You can't sell a secret. And PR, uh, you know, is, is much more affordable than marketing in terms of advertising. Uh, so it's, it's a great opportunity for, you know, for a startup to get known, to sort of put themselves out there and attract some initial customers. Then when you're moving up the line and you're a little bit more established, you know, PR becomes the tool that you need to differentiate yourself or to, to show that you're the market leader. And then beyond that, PR becomes very integral if you're going to chase an IPO or you're looking for international investors uh, because they're going to be looking for that. You need to have pages and pages and pages of, of Google links that are favourable in the news, in the media, talking about you and your business and what you're doing. Uh, it's so critical and so many people don't think it is. And I see these crazy things, all these magic things popping up all the time, guaranteed, pay me money and I'm going to put you in Fox and CBC and Forbes and blah, 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 24 hours, you'll be there. And it's bastardizing PR to make it look like you don't even need to be in PR anymore, like someone can just get you featured in the media like that. But people know the difference. It's fake news. That, that may as well be fake news. You know, PR is a compounding process. The more you do it, the more you, consistent you are with it, the more trusted and credible you become. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to go about getting featured in the media this day, these days. And one is obviously the, me, the media relations side of, side of it, like knowing who to, to, to reach out to and knowing who to pitch to. But the other thing is the discoverability side of it. So being found. And, you know, I've, I've spent many years talking with um, journalists from all walks of life, you know, trying to understand them and what they're looking for. And I know that a journalist will generally pre prefer in most cases to find their source themselves rather than be fed a source by a PR because they have more ownership over it. What most people don't realise is the journalist being the producer of the current affair, I can just yep. keep using that one yep. by way of example, <laughs> the producer's getting hit up all day mm. long, like 100 PR agencies just firing uh, emails through to them all day saying, Pitch, here's my client, here's my yeah. client. They go, what the fuck, it's, you know. Look, we still do a bit of both. And, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned about all of those emails firing in because the statistic is around 7 to 8% of emails get opened by journos that have been pitched by PR. So it's like 92% yep. of things is delete, delete, delete. So when we talk about being discoverable, we talk about um, are you writing a blog? Uh, are you, have you got a YouTube channel? Uh, are you on Instagram? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Facebook? Are you out uh, doing, you know, um, keynote speeches, speaking on panels, going to networking events. You know, these are all those little opportunities to be discovered essentially, you know. All the shit that you did, <laughs> all the stuff that you did to get discovered by various people who are, who offered you jobs. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People pitch to me all the time. And I'll be honest here, like, oh, yeah, fuck, no, it's not what I'm not interested in. That. That's not my agenda at the moment. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for this. I'm not looking for this. I'm looking for some. I, I know what I'm looking for. And I, I, when I see it, I'll, I'll hit it and I'll read it. Yes. And you might have to do this for free. You do it for nothing. Mm. All this doesn't have to yield. No. Yeah. No, that's absolutely, it's, it's a strategy. It is a strategy that 
looks at every single channel we have in front of us to show up on, but it needs to be cohesive. There needs to be an overarching strategy that ties all of those mouthpieces together. See, I like to think of social media as microphones. It's not, the, it's not just the be all and end all on its own, but it's a microphone. It helps to amplify things out. But I try to bring things into kind of like a pinnacle form where we're like, this is the key message. This is the key thing, who you are, what makes you great. Like I do a lot of work with the clients to work out their purpose, their why, their elevator statement. What makes you someone that people would actually give a shit about even listening to in the first place? And then when you figure out what that is, amplify it, get it out there and keep saying it over and over and over again because we know that we are exposed to thousands of pieces of content per day. So you almost need to say something 10 times now to the same person for it to even sink in. Do you actually sort of like go and do um, an audit on all the channels that your client could be on? Absolutely. Do you then go and say, now these are the, these are the 22 places I think you should be hitting up with this, all this information, this story, and, you, and do you then also say, and you've got to do it every day? Because it's all about layering, you know, over a long period of time. Yeah. And it's not about spending a lot of money. It's about effort, time, consistency and persistency. Continuing to move that needle. And you're so right. Like when you say audit, like do I have a list? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Like the IP that I've created for this business from scratch, I have a massive multi-point audit checklist that we go through with every new client on onboarding to first of all, where are they showing up? Where are all the holes? What do we need to improve? And that's the first point of call. We start there. Then we develop the strategy going forward and we develop all of those talking points that you mentioned. And, and then we look at where we can match them up because we have to make sure that their stories meet the narrative of wherever we're going to pitch them. But most of all, provide some sort of value to the people who are going to be in front of them or hear from them or read it because it's a complete act of ego if it's just about being in the media without actually backing it up with wanting to actually help the people through your content. So you have to come from a place of service with this stuff. You can't just be willy-nilly just chucking yourself out there and talking about everything. And what about analy- analysing this stuff? What about the analytics around it? Um, you know, like mm. even though sometimes we think something is on point, maybe it's not. How do you work through that, the analytics, analysing the effort. We live in a data revolution right now. So, I mean, I love analytics and the numbers are everywhere if you know how to go looking for them. Uh, simple things. So, if an opportunity pops up, the first thing we're going to do is search to see the audience size of that particular opportunity. Um, we're going to look at other people that have been on that platform and, you know, where they are in their careers and whether or not that's been a good opportunity for them as well. Um, obviously, there's loads of analytics sitting in behind all our social media platforms. So, we're constantly looking at what's working, what isn't, you you know, we, we meet every month to track these things. We're always looking at analytics and, and audience insights to make sure that we're on the right track. And I think with the dynamic, you know, space we're in now with the world changing almost every day, it's even more important now to like reset and make sure you're on message because things change so often. And for some of the lazier practices out there where you load up a social media content calendar for like a month or two months or three months and just hit auto post and then something really inappropriate comes out that just so happens to be at the wrong time because you're not, you know, checking in to make sure things are still relevant to things that are happening now. Yeah, you've got to pay a lot of attention to it. And I think that's why people work with us is because like, you know, directors of companies, they're too busy to be doing this for themselves. So we offer a solution where we can say, look, we'll take control of everything for you. We'll work with you. This is going to be your thing, right? Because you're telling us what you want to say, but we're going to make sure that we produce the content and that it's going out consistently so that you're not dropping the ball. So that people are always hearing about you 
and you're staying front and center, which has been so important through COVID. And I remember that because at first when COVID hit, I thought, oh my God, like I'm screwed. Everyone's going to think PRs are nice to have, not a need to have right now. People are going to cut, you know, trim the fat and cut all their marketing budgets. But I said to my clients, I rang them the week before the pandemic came out and I said, now is not the time to quit. Now is the time to stay front and center. I'm violently in agreement with you. Um, For me, um, right now is we should be doubling down on telling the story. And, and by the way, there's got to be a story associated with all this stuff. But you've got to, you've got to know your story, you know your, know your purpose, know your, have a story and be able to execute on it and do it a lot, often, because you've got to emerge and, and it's a, a pretty crazy crowded market out there too, by the way. So <laughs> right now is a, good t- is a good time to be doubling down on everything you do in a relation to your brand and your strategy of rolling it out. I want to make this comment, Amanda, and I, and because I often get uh, – you know, I'm in lots of different businesses that I often get talked to by my CEOs about, you know, marketing. Um, but, and to be frank with you, most, with the greatest respect to other people, marketing managers a lot of times don't understand any of the shit that you're talking about. Um, and to some extent, a marketing manager in a lot of cases is somebody who's a more a coordinator of marketing outcomes um, as opposed to being because no one person can manage all the marketing in a business. You know, like be be crazy if someone to say, oh, well, you know, Amanda, you know, we want you to do our TVCs and produce the TVCs and direct the TVC and we want you to run and produce and direct our, our podcasts and we want you to do our social media and we also want to do your PR. I mean, like marketing to me is marketing managers are coordinators and a critical part of marketing has to be allocated to an expert who is very good at what you do, public PR or what is loosely referred to as PR, but it's awareness programs and it's building brands. Mm. That's to me is so important. And I always think it's better outsourced because it's because generally speaking, um, a third party outside of my business is having exposure to lots of clients, has exposure to lots of mediums and has exposure to lots of changes in the industry. And, uh, and, and also has a view on your brand, uh, an independent view. Because in my business, I use external PR always, always. Never, I'm, I've tried internal, but I use external. Yeah, I literally had this conversation with my staff on Monday because I caught up with a client on Saturday and we were talking about, um, you know, why they brought me in because they have got a marketing team and coordinator. And they explained to me that the reason they brought me in is because their marketer had just gone tunnel vision and almost robotic and I said, well, what do you expect? If they're not exposed to other clients and they're not exposed to, you know, working with other colleagues in their field and they're stuck in your business every day, it's going to stifle their creativity. Eventually it will. You definitely need to outsource this stuff to the experts. Absolutely. And I talk about that all the time. It's not to say that we don't work super cohesively with people who have got in-house marketers, but you can't expect someone's full-time job as a marketing person in a business to be able to be like winning at all of the things because there are so many things between marketing and PR that must be done every day. And yeah, you're just, you're going to be doing everything at maybe five or 10% instead of doing one thing at a hundred percent. Before I wrap up, do you feel as though that when you were running comms during election periods that your creativity got stifled because relative to where you are today with all your clients, you know, and you didn't get to wear the yellow jacket those days. No, absolutely. It's quite funny. When I started in politics, I had brown hair. I went and bought like a gray, like wardrobe, just grays and blacks. And I just wanted to blend in. I didn't want to stand out. You know, I was very much trying to be the good conservative political staffer. And I do remember um, just before I'd actually decided to sort of get away from politics, it was, um, 
it was it was the fact that I was driving up these like creative ideas, particularly around how we could utilize social media with some of the politicians to get them on camera more, doing fun things like showing their personality, talking about their families, their friends, you know, just opening up that window to their life behind the scenes, which at the time was working so well for Mike Baird. Like I remember he did the Back to the Future DeLorean day and turned up to work in a DeLorean one day and had this like video done for Facebook and it went everywhere. And I, I love the content that was coming out of his um, his communications advisor at the time and his comms advisor at the time had come across from Optus. So he was non-politics as well. But it was just so creative and so different. But every time I had an idea around something creative, obviously it had to be fed up the party line and it got shut down every time. So I knew that if I'd stayed in politics, absolutely, I would have been stifled. And I feel like over the, I knew if I stayed there, my soul, my creative soul would slowly die. So getting out was so important to be able to continue to unleash what I still, what I knew I could do. So, I mean, I always give, I've been asking all the questions. I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question. Have you got one for me? I do actually. And I wrote this down two weeks ago and you're the perfect person to answer this. I want to know what you think about this. So what do you think is the difference between um, your gut trying to tell you something or if it's actually uh, feeling outside your comfort zone because the two things can feel very similar but a gut instinct you're supposed to listen to and feeling out of your comfort zone you're supposed to ignore and run through. I often try to overanalyze things um, and uh, and then if I get uncomfortable, I have in the past uh, not gone with my gut instinct um, and generally speaking my instinct has always, my gut instinct has always been more correct and more yep. on point than my outcomes when I overanalyze things. So uh, to answer your question, um, I will still analyze stuff, but, I'll, but I won't let my gut be overridden by my analytics. So I, I generally speaking will go by my second brain, that's my stomach, and what I feel. Don't overthink it. Awesome. So we've gone from um, Amanda Williams wearing the grey jacket, working for a politician in federal government, hanging out down in the mothership in Canberra and uh, you know, 40 trips a year, um, from the Gold Coast down there and back to um, Amanda Williams now, Yellow Panda, expressing herself the way she wants to express herself um, and uh, running basically a big creative agency for lots of um, clients from startups to established businesses. It's a pretty good fucking story. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really nice to meet you. You too, Mark. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Smalley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.